Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. This is Talk of the Devils, the Manchester United podcast brought to you by The Athletic. I'm Ian Irving and this is our last podcast of what's been a gloriously galling and eventful season at Old Trafford. But before we take a two-week break to recharge and do it all over again, we've got one last pod and to mark the occasion, we have assembled the full crew. So, hello Andy Mitten. Hello everybody, looking forward to this. Hello Laurie Whitwell. Hello, guys. This is nice, isn't it? Cozy, family, full house. And last but not least, hello, Carl Anka. Hello, boys. How are you all doing? I'm really looking forward to this. I've like cleared everything in my afternoon schedule just for this. No conference league, just this. My face is hurting already from smiling. That's how much I've enjoyed the preamble and the start to this podcast. And Carl, you're still polishing your nib, aren't you? <laughs> just a little bit. <laughs> Two nibs. Uh, I, I still oh, had to take a second paracetamol this morning as uh, I, I, I still had a little bit of a hangover from Monday night. Um, thank you to everyone who has talked about or purchased the book I work with in Marcus Rashford. On Monday, we went off to the British Book Awards uh, and we won two awards, Best Children's Nonfiction Book of the Year and Overall Book of the Year. I had an amazing conversation with, with Marcus's mum, Melanie who told me and every United fan out there, if you can believe it, you can achieve it. So don't worry. So yeah, bit of a hangover, bit excited for this podcast and uh, what happens next with Man United in the summer. Absolutely. Congratulations again, Carl. And I hope you've sent a copy of You Are a Champion to Eric Ten Hag on his first week at Manchester United, just to channel that spirit ahead of next season. It's been a week to refocus, hasn't it? Sellers part feels like last season already, if you listen to Laurie Whitwell, as we found out on the last podcast. Uh, Ten Hag spoke for the first time. The uh, voting for the Player of the Year award opened as well, even though the due's been cancelled. A little bit more hope and positivity coming through these these airwaves, Andy, do you think, today? What do you reckon? Yeah, we can be optimistic. I think United fans greeted the arrival of Eric Ten Hag warmly. It was the unanimous choice of most Manchester United fans to be the next manager. I think he's made a decent first impression and the sounds coming out around him that he wants to get his players really fit, that he's going to work them really hard. Uh, I think United fans welcome that as well. So, yeah, I don't, I won't stretch it to say that we can be optimistic and so cheery when we're talking about Manchester United because the season's been a disaster and we're talking a few days of Liverpool playing in a Champions League final. But yeah, we don't need to be um, so so despondent. No, absolutely not. Laurie, you and I were at the press conference. You've written a piece about it now, which we can now plug because it wasn't written, of course, when we recorded on Monday. So go and have a look at that if you're listening to this, if you want to know more about the first impressions that Eric Ten Hag set. There's also a piece up there from Michael Cox as well on the app at the minute. Uh, we're doing positivity, so we're not going to go into that, but basically it's his take on 
what's been a, a, a bit of a, an issue appointing Ralph Rangnick as an interim manager and he, he goes through all of that. But Eric left with a sense of positivity as well, didn't he, Laurie? Yeah, listen, as you say, if we can't be optimistic once the season's over and we've got something to look forward to, then when can you be? Um, that's what football gives you, I suppose, hope. Um, at the same time, it's clearly going to be a massive task for him, isn't it? Um, I thought he started with a bit of authority in terms of you know shaking everyone's hand and sort of making sure the mood was positive and bright. Um, kept his everyone's hand. Well, this is. I was waiting <laughs> for my opportunity. I was going to stand up. There's been a bit of debate in the press pack about those that didn't even stand up for it and those that did. So I don't know if you noticed. Did people not stand up? Listen, Ooh. I'm not naming any names, but some people on the front row when he first came in didn't actually stand up. And they, they've been grilled uh, privately, I can tell you that. Um, and then you get to David McDonnell at the at the Daily Mirror, obviously someone who knows his manners, you know, long in the game, absolute pro. He stands up, not a problem. And then the rest of them do, like dominoes. But I was waiting for my chance. Uh, but he, he sort of, I think, he, I think he realised if I start trying to shake everyone's hand in the press room, I'll be here all afternoon. So he cut it short. <laughs> so hopefully, I'm gonna, I'm gonna nail him uh, over in Thailand. Hopefully, when we get to introduce ourselves, phrasing, uh, and I'm gonna stand up and shake his hand. Phrasing, Carl. Absolutely. Um, speaking of hope, I don't know why we're doing this to ourselves, but um, just for our amusement and you listening to this podcast as well, this is us after Manchester United began the season with a 5-1 win over Leeds United on the opening weekend. This is how we felt at the start of our journey. Let's do Bruno Fernandes because he just seemed to save his very, very best performance for United for when fans were back inside Old Trafford, Carl. He was absolutely unbelievable, wasn't he? He was fantastic on Saturday. It was very much a repeat of what happened at Old Trafford in the 6-2 victory over, over Leeds United. So we've spoken before, Leeds play this man-marking system. So if you beat your man and drag the Leeds player into space, you tend to profit on Saturday. It was Robin Koch on Fernandez, uh, And we just saw that repeatedly. There were so many good rotations and quick movement from all of United players that you were having Leeds defensive midfielders standing out in fullback areas, fullbacks in central areas uh, and defensive you know, centre-backs just not understanding what to do. Leeds had no idea what to do when everything started clicking. And uh, that's the joy about this United team. When they click, they're so much fun to watch. Difficult to pick out a man of the match from all of that, Andy, but was it Bruno for you or was it any of the others? I think Bruno and Pogba were, were the main two. They scored, they assisted, and it's great that they are because Bruno's been consistent. His, his statistics are, are amazing since he came. Probably his best performance, Pogba as well. I mean, both of them were amazing and there were top performances throughout. And I've not felt this way after a game at the start of the season since Arsenal 4-1 in 89 when United beat um, a really good team and everyone thought we're going to win the league this year. And United finished 13th. I can't see United finishing 13th this year, but I do think... The team have got to get consistency, win, 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 win. Because don't forget, United have started the last few seasons really poorly. But that was amazing on Saturday. Let's enjoy the moment, encouraging team performance as well as individual performances with Bruno and Pogba, the standouts. Andy, well, they didn't finish 13th, I suppose. I did offer caution there, not to get carried away. I mean, I don't think we'd say anything that differently. The start of the season... It was good and it was a good performance. With the benefit of hindsight, we should know that Manchester United usually score a lot of goals past Leeds United. But 
the high point of this season came in those first weeks. Leeds, good couple of wins. Varane being unveiled. Uh, Ronaldo. Um, and that's about it. There's there's been <laughs> odd wins. We can pick them out. Odd wins. We have done throughout this podcast. Well, there's been more wins than defeats, but the team still lost twelve times this season, which is which is horrendous. And the 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 goals came at the start of the season. If you looked at United's goal difference, it finished as zero. I think if you look at it after four matches when United put a flood of goals in, it just got worse from that first month. I think Ollie, our producer, has been very kind there because I reckon he could have found a clip where one of us is saying something like, they're going to win the title. You know, they're right in contention. I, I was quite grateful that I wasn't included there and Carl and Andy's uh, sort of response was, yeah, was kind of measured. Because um, <laughs> it was, can enjoy it felt... my questions as well, can't you? <laughs> yeah. But it felt, it felt like that, didn't it? Like, end of last season. And that's something that actually Juan Mata mentioned in my interview. I'm going to plug it again. I don't care. He said that generally the players felt that actually having made the signings they've made with Ronaldo, with Sancho, with Iran, that they were going to go and have a title challenge. So it wasn't just us that were getting a bit excited. Yeah, Carl, so much fun to watch this Manchester United team. <sighs> I, I, I want to go back and talk to Pascal and say, you know, <laughs> when, I, when I said, when this team clicks, it's great. And I'm going, I want to start it, mate, it's going to stop clicking very shortly. <laughs> uh, start clunking. Yeah, yeah. It was meant to be fun. And I think, that's what also hurt this season is that yes, you know, Andy said keep your keep your emotions in check, don't get too high and don't get too low. But I think everyone going into this season went, okay, maybe United won't win a Premier League title, but at the very least they'll be top four and it will be fun. I think everyone had got to a place where they were okay with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's United being great entertainers and deeply entertaining and it was fun and maybe you pick up a trophy somewhere else and I think if United got to Champions League quarterfinals in April and made a deep run in the League Cup or maybe even won the League Cup we'd all be like yeah not bad and then add another piece and we'll be fine and then it just damn that was annoying pretty much sums it up to be fair doesn't it um, obviously we had the FA Youth Cup win a couple of weeks ago at Old Trafford which was a brilliant night for all of us apart from me, who didn't quite manage to record the podcast first time around. Uh, everyone else enjoyed it, though, and it was a great occasion at Old Trafford. The women's team have made progress this year as well. They were within a whisker of getting into the Champions League, which would have been brilliant for them. I think Andy talked up a, a win for the under-12s at one point this campaign as well. I mean, it's not been all bad, Andy, has it, to be honest? We are jesting a little bit here, aren't we? wasn't even a win for the under-12s. It was a defeat for the 15s that I went to watch at Trafford. Oh, sorry. So, no... <laughs> Yeah, but I, I I take the point that it hasn't been all all bad, but it but it's been bad pretty much. If we're going to pick out if I, the, the moments from this season, the games which I enjoyed, Tottenham away I thought was really good. One of the few times that Cavani played, let alone played well. Uh, I think the the games against Leeds home and away, the win at Brentford seemed pretty exciting, and yeah, there'll be a few more. Um, the, in in Europe those um. Those late winners against Atalanta and against Villarreal at Old Trafford, after both them teams had been much better, they were great moments. Old Trafford really came alive then. And uh, I think probably the best result of the season was Villarreal away in the Champions League. They showed how good they are in in the competition and that was under Michael Carrick. He just brought a little bit of stability. If you look at his results now, they look better now than they actually did at the time. Best he week of the season. Beat Arsenal, drew against Chelsea away and beat Villarreal away. But 
the autumn was horrendous. It's unfortunately it's far easier to pick out the bad moments and it's just got worse and worse and worse. We didn't think it could get any worse than the Watford game, which saw the end of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, but it did. Just on Carrick, when you mentioned him there, it was part of the piece that we did on the Sunday after the season had finished, but someone said to me that actually, as a coach, he was kind of quiet. We kind of put his input across when necessary, he wasn't the most demonstrative, but then in those games when he was manager, he came alive and some of his team talks were supposed to be very inspirational. So I would be intrigued to see where he... He pops up next. He was on stage, wasn't he, with Fergie at the LMAs um, the other night. Um, so it'd be interesting to see if he does get back into coaching anytime soon. Carl, anything to mention? I'm, not, I'm doing the season review for Man United. So re- listeners, I always say get these confused. Listeners will be able to enjoy my review of United season on Thursday. Um, it's not as long as, or as verbose as, uh, let's say, the Liverpool Manchester City ones, shall we say. Okay. Well, by the time this podcast is reaching your ears, that piece will be on The Athletic. Go and check it out. mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Right, the United social media accounts are still posting videos of Eric Ten Hag in his beige suit on his first day touring Old Trafford, but no doubt he'll already be getting to work for when the players return from their holidays next month and his rebuild begins. We've asked you on the last couple of podcasts to get involved in shaping this next chart. You've done it on the app, you've done it on Twitter as well. It's been brilliant to have you having your say and setting the agenda for this next topic because we're going to talk about the work that's ahead for Eric Ten Hag. And specifically, we asked you what you wanted to see from his Manchester United on the first day of next season. And this first bit is marked for the attention of Mr. C. Anchor. James says, I want to see a proper defensive midfielder. <laughs> Are you James, Carl? No, no, no. I, I, I very much agree with James. I think United need reinforcements and upgrades in a number of positions. And, and number one on that list is a defensive midfielder. I think I've been saying this ever since this podcast has existed. United need a defensive midfielder. They need a number six. I think we've all been saying it since we possibly could say it, that they needed it because they've needed it for so long. Who would you want, Carl? Who, who do you reckon is realistic this window or maybe idealistically? Who, who would you want? <laughs> I always get this question and I always, I'm always a bit reluctant to give a name out because I always feel it will get picked up by 
aggregators and whatnot and spread legs and all of a sudden the aggregators love it give them their pound of flesh go on that's it right i always have to end up in investigating my own rumors i will say i am very annoyed that aston villa have picked up camera from from marseille i think he is a remarkable young player when i did the shopping for ten hard part one on defensive midfields kamara even was he was on there I think he's very good as the deepest midfielder when the team is in possession. He's got very nice switch of play off to the left side of the field where you know you imagine those sorts of passes from your central midfielder to Luke Shaw, to Jaden Sancho, to Marcus Rashford would have been superb. I don't know why he's at Villa and how much United would have checked. But uh, yeah, he, he would have been number two on my list of defensive midfielders to get. Number one, I think... Uh, you can put two and two together and eventually you understand uh, a certain person playing in France is uh, my preference. Who's, who's going to Real Madrid, supposedly? Oh, to a Chamey. He's probably going to one of the Champions League finalists, but I would Finalist, absolutely yeah. adore. I'd absolutely adore if uh, that certain someone ended up at Manchester United. Yeah, did he? Liverpool were properly in for him, didn't they? But it does sound like quite a lot of money for him. And, and then you look at Villa and you said Kamara there, and he's a free, right? And you know, you've got Steven Gerrard going over to Marseille to get the deal done. And it feels already like we're sort of thinking, looking over the fence at you know what Man City are doing with Haaland, what even Villa are doing with Kamara. You sort of think, are United, are they? There is stuff going on, clearly, we you know, with Frank, Frankie de Jong. But you're sort of wondering how quickly that, that might resolve. But Frankie de Jong's not a holding midfielder. That's my sort of screaming, pulling my hair out in that uh, Manchester United, if Manchester United, let Paul, if Paul Pogba leaves Manchester United on the free and for some reason Frankie de Jong comes in, Manchester United will have not changed any of the big questions about their central midfield. They will again have a player who's really good at progressing the ball from deep but probably needs a number six behind them. They will again have someone who's got very good passes into the final third but isn't the best and making tackles in that tight central areas in the centre circle. So I'm not saying don't get him. I think he's a cheat code for, for modern football. And any football club that has 60 million in their back pocket should go to Barcelona. Hey, look, 60 million. Do you want to blink? Just in case. But don't just get Frankie Dion. I've said all that now and the aggregate is going to cook me all summer. <laughs> Where Manchester United are at is uh, Eric Ten Hag and John Murta have been meeting in Amsterdam before this week about which players the club should identify and bring in. So United have got a budget. A lot will depend on the players which leave and how much money Manchester United get for those players. I find it interesting that you say £60 million. That's a figure that Liverpool don't really go to. Liverpool are in the 35 to 40 million market and Jurgen Klopp's very good at that and their recruitment's obviously a step above Manchester United's. Uh, I know that lots of agents have been putting their players into Manchester United. The person that they were putting the calls into was Matt Judge. That's now changed. But you do have John Murta working with Eric Ten Hag. They've got their own Pretty clear ideas, I think. There's a lot of, uh, I won't say merry-go-round because that, that's a cliche, but there's a lot of clubs just jockeying for position at the moment. I think United are in quite a weak place when it turns to offering the players. If you're in charge at Chelsea or Liverpool and Manchester City and you look at Manchester United's squad, I don't think there's a huge number 
I think there's a, a tiny number of players who they would be interested in. So it's not going to be the easiest transfer market for Manchester United. I also think there needs to be a little bit of reality when clubs like Barcelona think, OK, we'll let you have Frankie Dijong, but you're English and we're going to charge you a billion zillion for it. I just do not think you're getting those stupid, stupid fees. Not even like uh, the Jadon Sancho stuff. And that's a little bit of a hangover because of, uh, of COVID. Okay, let's move it on then, because about 90% of the responses that we had to this question demanded passion and desire, which Lee said, uh, Adam said, a clear system and a bit of desire, that'll do me. Uh, There was requests for a plan, structure, controlling football matches, all sort of basic things, really, to be honest, Laurie. But it is actually sort of that simple, Ferret Ten Hag, isn't it? It shows where we're at, doesn't it, I suppose, in that that's just the the base level that, that fans are asking for. And it does make me laugh at the irony, I suppose, because that was probably the thing that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer got criticised the most for, you know, sort of talking about passion, desire, commitment, you know, saying that actually it's not about tactics sometimes. So, um, yeah, clearly that's something that needs to be reinstilled into this team because you felt like they did have it last season. You know, I know second place wasn't... This is last, last season now I'm talking about, Ian. <laughs> Bloody hell, I've realised I've, I've already... This is 20, 2020, 2021 I'm talking about. Um, season before last, you mean? Season before last, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> and um, 74 points wasn't a great total for finishing second, but at the same time, it, it felt like United were actually building and then clearly the transfers in the summer and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's handling of, of those players, it, it disintegrated the kind of foundations that it was built on. So I guess just going back to that level is what fans are asking for, right? They felt a disconnect with the players, Um but it's going to be a difficult thing still for Ten Hag to instill because you have got big personalities there still. You know, we talk about Cristiano Ronaldo a lot on this podcast in the past. That's still going to be something for him to solve. He's clearly um, put his colours to the mask there in, in terms of talking about how um, pivotal he thinks he'll be in his team. Um, you know, gave a very short answer to the uh, journalist who asked about what will Ronaldo bring to your team? Goals. Um, but I think that, that will still mean that he has to just I guess, go around his dressing room and see what players are thinking. And that's going to be a crucial factor in terms of whether he can get this unified desire, commitment, passion from his players. I think what's really going to be interesting is Ten Hag will want Manchester United to be a coherent pressing side, right? The Ajax team counter-pressed fiercely in central areas and they were really good at doing tactical fouls. And the Brighton game, the Brighton defeat, had an inter- had a moment, I think when they were maybe 2-0 down, where Scott McTominay tried to tactically foul a Brighton player. Couldn't do it. He like, really pulled down on the collar and couldn't get a yellow card to stop a counter-attack. Uh, and then Dallow tried doing it as well. And I went, oh, this United team can't even quite marry the technical skills with the, the players that have the passion don't quite have the technical skills and the players that have the technical skills don't necessarily have the physicality, as Rannick said. And how Ten Hag does that in a summer where you have to go off, in a preseason where you have to go off to Australia and to Thailand, and you bear in mind some of the things Laurie's detailed in that really good piece about Jose Mourinho ages ago about just how their, you know, the, the physical tracking equipment just got chucked out the window and Solskjaer to build from a low base. That's going to be a real challenge. Cause I look over at Newcastle and I see what Eddie Howe has done. And to get Newcastle to play a pretty coherent settled possession team in the half season the bit he's done. And I, I think that should be possible in the preseason. A manager should be able to come in and for the starting you know, game of the season, 
get them playing pressing football, probably need to buy a DM. Bruno Gomes was would have been perfect for United, but blah, 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 blah. Can Ten Hag do that and fly around the world twice and get players like Cristiano to buy in is going to be really, really, really difficult. Ralph Rangnick has also made his suggestions as well. He's pointed out um, which players he thinks Manchester United should sign, uh, whether they will be taken on board. It is another matter. I think he's got a pretty good eye for a player. Emerging young players, always better working with, with young players. But I think Eric Ten Hag has also said, look, I'm, I'm going to be the one who, who makes a decision here. This isn't going to be done by a committee. This is going to be done by me. And the club will like that because when Ole Gunnar Solskjaer took over and he won that first Manager of the Month award, he was insistent that it was him and all of his coaches together as if it was a collective, and at one point the club said, you're the manager here. This isn't about the five yet, you're the manager here. And I think right from the start, Eric Ten Hag is saying, I'm the boss here, I'll make the decisions, I'll make the tough decisions. I've been through storms before as a manager. He's got a really, really difficult job, as as Laurie and, and Carl have said. But he'll be back, he'll be back in real life at the stadium. We saw this week's season ticket sold out, and the, the rate of non-renewals was the, the, the lowest ever. It's staggering, really, when you think how bad the football has been at Old Trafford, where the team went out of three different tournaments. But that's where we are with with Manchester United right now. Another debate that a lot of fans wanted us to talk about is the captain. I thought that it was one of the most revealing things about Eric Ten Hag's press conference, like we mentioned on the last podcast, the fact that he offered no guarantee in that press conference that Harry Maguire would continue as United captain into next season. Uh, Tanu's picked up on that on Twitter, saying that he thinks the armband should stay with Harry Maguire. There were shouts in there for Cristiano Ronaldo to be named captain as well. Uh, and Phillips got an interesting point, Carl. He said that he wants it to be voted by the squad as to who wears the armband. It's something that Manchester City have done for the last few years under Pep Guardiola. Do you think that's the right move for United? I mean, Ten Hag's worked under Pep before. Maybe that's something he's picked up from him. I think that's probably the most sensible thing to do. Uh, I wrote a piece about the captaincy situation a couple of weeks ago. I think one big thing Ten Hag needs to be mindful of is the nice problems they have at United. So throughout Solskjaer's tenure, he describes certain situations as a nice problem. It was a nice problem to have someone like Paul Pogba have to come off the bench at the start of the season before last. It was a nice problem to have Dean Henderson and David De Gea pushing each other for the number one. And I think now the, the captaincy situation used to be a nice problem. But much like a lot of things at United, it's probably lasted too long and now is going to become a serious problem if you don't do something quickly. Uh, so I, I can quite easily imagine Ten Hag taking the same approach as what Leeds did with Bielsa, what City have done, what Liverpool have done. Uh, I believe Arsenal are recently doing this as well, which is basically just putting it towards a vote in the dressing room, say, pick your captain, and that's the person who runs the dressing room. If that's, if that's still Harry Maguire then you stick by Harry Maguire and he continues. If it's Cristiano Ronaldo, then you go with that trajectory. I can also see another situation where Ten Hag goes, you know what, I'll take it off Maguire. Say, you need to go get back to your best form and you probably need to do this away from the spotlight of having to do interviews and whatnot as United's captain. I'm going to give it to another player like David De Gea to make it less of a, the captaincy less of an issue or possibly giving it to Cristiano Ronaldo and say, you're here for at least one more year. You can hold it for one more year. And then by that time, we'll see if any of my 
players in the transfer market want to become a captaincy as well. Yeah, Andy, um, Jose Mourinho just gave it to Antonio Valencia because he'd been there the longest. I mean, that's another way of doing it, isn't it? What do you think he, he should do at Ten Hag with the captaincy? I spoke to Valencia on Saturday. Oh, did you? Yeah. In English? Surely not. What do you think? <laughs> he'd only been here 10 years. Why would you expect him to speak English? <laughs> he, came over, he came over to Manchester with his entire family, which was... And he was another one who's like, this This wasn't happening enough when I was playing. All these kids didn't believe that I used to be a footballer, but here, here, I, here I am now. Uh, I think Philip's point uh, in the question is is the right, sensible one. Um, let the players vote for it. My worry with that is that's where you see where the cliques are in the dressing room because you get mm. you get these blocks of voting. What if it ends up split as well? What What if you actually ended up having half the votes for Maguire, half the votes for Ronaldo or... Bruno or De Gea. charity boxing match to decide <laughs> it exactly so that it could it could reveal but then again get that all out in the open that might not be a bad thing to see who's siding with who we did have a really good discussion about the captains on a recent podcast but it was I don't remember that Andy was, when was uh, that <laughs> we don't talk about that Andy sorry sorry I hope my hands up do you know something that is interesting with City Andy Kevin De Bruyne was voted out of the leadership group ahead of this season. I mean, he's essentially City's best player and he was voted out of the leadership group. Ruben, Ruben Diaz was added to it. I mean, that it shows you that it, it it doesn't necessarily cause the issues that you think it might. I think City doing that from a position of strength, though. I think it's much harder to do that when you're Manchester United and uh, some of the cliques are genuine. You know, those, those players, some of them do not get on with each other and... Some departing may ease the situation a little bit, but there'll definitely be people uh, staying who, you know, you, you don't have to be best mates with with you your work friends. And uh, but that dressing room's been a problem this year. It's been a real problem. Go on, Laurie. Sorry. No, I was just laughing at Andy saying you don't have to be best friends with your work colleagues. You I know. Say that I'm again, like, oh. You should today what I say behind your hey, back. It cut Carl deep <laughs> as well. Yeah. <laughs> I, I do. I, <laughs> I don't mean us, boys. So <laughs> you said it now, mate. I used to used to think when I was a kid that all United players were like all best mates with each other and they all went out together. That's because they did. And then you, well, yeah, in some of the teams they definitely did. But you grow up a bit and then you realise that Andy Cole and Teddy Sheringham didn't actually get on. That Roy Keane and and, and Gary Pallister didn't speak to each other for three years and. On one level, that didn't matter as long as they retained the respect for each other. But I think you've got a problem with United at the moment where some players don't even respect each other. And that manifests itself pretty clearly on the pitch. We can see that. That's one reason why Manchester United are losing every week. Six defeats on the trot away from home. That's disgraceful. You should be the captain, Andy, with that kind of passion and that kind of spirit. We need you getting in there, team talk before the game. Um it is going to be a really interesting one for Ten Hag, isn't it? I mean, he, he did come out positively for Harry Maguire, very, very much so, didn't he? I think he realised that it was a bit of a, a sensitive topic um, as soon as the question got asked and he kind of, again, got on the front foot with it. Um, he was ready for that question, wasn't he? He was ready, for sure. He'd been brief, definitely. Um, but I don't think that that necessarily drew a line under it. You know, as you said, it, it wasn't a guarantee. So it will be interesting to see. You sort of wonder... Would Harry Maguire benefit from not having the captaincy where he's not the kind of focal point? I mean, maybe he still would be because he'd be an £80 million defender and it's Harry Maguire and, you know, England international. The only England international that has Manchester United as his club, by the way. You know, it's kind of a crazy situation that we've got into there. That And it's not a surprise, is it? That, you know, he's the only 
Manchester United representative in the England squad. Can argue with his with his form that he's almost fortunate to get in the England squad. He yeah, wasn't even a guaranteed possibly. pick for United towards the end of the campaign, like the others who haven't made the squad. Gareth Southgate goes with his his players that he is trusted before, doesn't he? So he's he, he, Maguire's delivered for him. He, he, you know that's that's what he bases it on. Let's talk about strikers because that's another area of the pitch that you guys at home clearly wanted us to talk about. It's nice to get some suggestions as well to kick it off. So Nemanja suggested maybe we could go for Dybala on a on a free. Uh, obviously, he's leaving Juventus. Carl, your face has screwed up so much and your head is now shaking. I'm thinking that it's a waste of money to get him on a free. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, so I, I think Dybala is one of the most dynamic and interesting attacking players in the world. But so the way he gets shots off and the way he can create shots is amazing. The quality of those shots are highly spurious, and at his age, he's one of those players a bit similar to to Delhi, where he's a ten and a half. Sometimes he's a nine, sometimes he's a ten. He's good at manipulating space, very inventive, but there's not really a fixed position for him, and he's also approaching that sort of age where his uniqueness can be a weakness as much as it is a strength. Manchester also, he primarily wants the ball played into feet and United have way too many, too many attackers who primarily want the ball played into feet. One reason why Alanga started so many matches on the Ralph Ragnick wasn't just because of the, the, the drop-off in form of other players, but because he was the rare United attacker that ran in behind rather than demanded it played into feet. United need a, a striker who offers something different to Cristiano Ronaldo, something different to Anthony Martial, something different to Marcus Rashford. Um, and Dybala is unfortunately a bit too old and a bit too weird for that deal to make any sense to my mind. The aggregators are definitely going to pull you up on that one, Carl. <laughs> I mean weird in, in just pure uniqueness. I think he's... A very good player who most, I mean, I, I think he's probably more likely to stay in Italy than he is to, to go abroad, but I, I can't see Dybala in a Manchester United shirt. Uh, but that could be my own lack of imagination. He was the only Juventus player to break double figures in the league uh, last year in Serie A. The year before, though, when he was playing alongside Cristiano Ronaldo, Ronaldo scored 29 and Dybala scored four. So maybe that's a suggestion that the, the two of those two are not exactly a partnership that that wants to be reunited in Manchester. Carl, you're nodding again. So I'll be doing, uh, as part of the Shopping for Ten Hag series, I'll be covering striker. And I think one of the big things with any striker who will come into Man United is you will probably be number two to Cristiano Ronaldo. You will be. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> if, if, if Ronaldo's fit, and want, if Ronaldo fancies the game, he's going to play and he's probably going to want to play those 90 minutes. Uh, I, again, I kind of feel, I don't, Ten Hag might have the chutzpah to substitute him, but I imagine he'll probably be asked in press conferences afterwards, why did you substitute Cristiano Ronaldo? That's the situation we've got. We also know Cristiano Ronaldo, I think he said in January, he said genetically he feels like he's 30. So even Cristiano Ronaldo, the person that loves Cristiano Ronaldo the most, admits he's not... 21. Yeah, he's not He's not the physically the person he used to be. And Laurie's written some really good things about the issues with his hip flexor. So we are getting to a point where Ronaldo's not might not be able to play forty games a season. So you need a you need a striker who, you know, you want a striker who can probably get you twenty goals a season, but also needs to be happy with playing once a week. Ooh, that pesky hip flexor, hey? Yeah, it's really played up that in the second half of the season, hasn't it? 
This is it. Strikers, strikers aren't cheap as well. I think if you look at the, the areas of need where United have to buy players, you could probably save some money if you, you know, if you want to buy a centre-back. I don't think you need to buy another centre-back because you've got enough bodies. You probably want to spend a good chunk of money on defensive midfield. You probably want to spend a good chunk of money on right-back. I know Laurie has written a piece, wrote a piece before Ten Hag came in about how United were looking into a, a right winger. I don't think you have to spend too much money there. But if you're going to get a striker, it's the thing. Strikers aren't cheap. They probably cost 60 million at least. How do you tell a 60 million pound striker, do you want to play 20 games a season because Ronaldo's here? Another name that's been mentioned who is definitely cheaper, I'm sure. And it sounds like Wolves are sort of preparing for the exit of Raul Jimenez. The problem that there is with him is the fact that he's been sent off nearly as many times as he scored since the start of December in the Premier League for Wolves. <laughs> he's not an option, is he, Andy? That's been suggested by uh, Raker on Twitter. What do you think? I, I don't know the answer to that, and I'm just very cautious of the aggregator account saying that Raul Jimenez is joining Manchester United. <laughs> uh, I, do, I do know that um, a couple of years ago when Wolves came to Old Trafford, Alex Ferguson said to uh, a guest from Wolves, who's your best player? He said Diego Jota, and Ferguson's line was, I used to always ask opponents who the best player was and try and sign them if it was appropriate. <laughs> and That seems like such a basic <laughs> technique. <laughs> I love that, like simplicity. I thought of that when obviously went to Liverpool and started doing really well. Look, United's two priorities are a midfielder and a forward. And yes, a right back or a right winger, we don't know what the situation is going to be with Mason Greenwood either. Players have been offered to Manchester United in those positions. We talk about transfer fees, but I almost think it is as important salaries now. I think there is a tendency for players to run the contracts down. Look at the type of players United have been signing. Ibrahimovic, Cavani, the older ones, they were out of contract. They get huge wages. Players are more conscious of that now. And United are in the market for the top, top wages. So it's not just about um, the transfer fees, even though United will be obviously having to pay transfer fees, especially for, for younger players, but midfield and a forward. With Ronaldo, yeah, you, you're totally right. But players have still thrived around Ronaldo. I mean, Karim Benzema had a fantastic time not being the main man at Real Madrid. And he started to shine even more when Ronaldo left. But I think... Ronaldo's minutes may be rationed a little bit more next year. Ten Hag said goals. Great, great, great. I get that. But Ronaldo could also be a big problem for him as well. OK, let's round it off then with one area, which I don't think Manchester United will be doing business, but you never know. You never know. And that's goalkeeper. Uh, Jesper and a few others on Twitter were asking us to speak about this. He wrote, a replacement goalkeeper? Is that an option for Manchester United? Or give Dean Henderson a chance? He's not mentioned David De Gea there, Laurie, has he? Uh, no, yeah, I don't know why. Because um, I presume he'll be the number one next season. Um, he obviously doesn't subscribe necessarily to the ball-playing goalkeeper that Ten Hag has had at Ajax. Um, but at the same time, for United to address the goalkeeping area, there's, as Andy said, there's, there's priorities elsewhere. Um, Dean Henderson probably does have better distribution, certainly comes off his line more and is a better communicator. But... At the same time, David De Gea is probably one of the candidates for player of the season for United, which I guess shows how bad it's been when he's back in the frame for being the number one player. Um, but no, I mean, there's been some talk, hasn't there, of Sam Johnson. I don't know if that's going to go anywhere. You've got Tom Heaton there still. 
you expect Lee Grant to depart, but Dean Henderson's an interesting one. Newcastle have been reported as being interested, haven't they? But Eddie Howe came down quite hard on that in terms of whether anything was advanced. Um, but clearly he wants to play first-team football, Dean Henderson, on, on a regular basis, and he's not going to get that at, at Manchester United. Um, just because you didn't come to me on the strikers, Ian, I'm just going to throw one more in there. Um, <laughs> Darwin Nunes is one that United have been in talks with. Is uh, obviously Benfica striker that Ten Hag knows well, given the fact that he scored the goal that dumped them out of the Champions League. Um, George Mendes is involved with him now. So that's an interesting dynamic. You know, Ooh. he's got Ronaldo at the club already. He's going to be doing the deal for Darwin Nunes. What kind of factor will that have in discussions? Yep, there is one piece of this podcast that will be all over Twitter straight away. So thank you very much for that, Larry. <laughs> and thank you to you guys at home as well. You've you've shaped that for us. It's a great reaction to it. We'll do it more, of course, next season on Talk of the Devils, but we're going to leave it there for now. We will be taking a closer look at some of the specific positions for Manchester United and Ten Hag over the summer as well. So be sure to subscribe to Talk of the Devils for when we return in June or follow us on the app as well. And Laurie will also be adding to that Darwin Nunes rumour that's doing the rounds now uh, by doing a transfer roundup before he logs off for his break as well. So keep your eyes peeled on The Athletic for that. Remember, you can subscribe to The Athletic for just £1 a month for the first six months. Just go to theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. You get full access to all our great writing and free versions of the athletics podcast as well including this one that's the athletic.com forward slash man united pod and subscribers remember as well don't forget to update the app there's a new improved version and it's out now okay the last one on the agenda for our final podcast of the season is a lovely one. You may have learned a new name this week connected with Manchester United. You might have already known it, but Caff Phipps is a little bit of an institution, shall we say, at Manchester United's training ground. And she's been recognised by the LMA as well for a lifetime's work dedicated to Manchester United. She's essentially the first face that you see when you step inside the first team building at the training ground. She's a lovely person as well, which I think we can all attest to. So Alex Ferguson and Michael Carrick were on stage to present her with a reward. There were messages from the Neville brothers and David Beckham and others, and even one matters popped round as well to give her some peonies to mark the occasion. Andy, it's lovely to see Kath get this recognition, isn't it? Yeah, Kath's great. And she's been at the club for 53 years now. Um, Carl and I both saw her uh, at Carrington on Friday. Um, she's a lovely lady and people often see Manchester United as this institution, corporation, whatever, but at the heart of it, there is still a family and she is at the heart of that family. I tweeted about her on Friday and then bumped into her at Old Trafford a day later and I said, you know that tweet I've put out about you when I showed her? She said, have lots of people seen it? And I said, yeah, let me see. One million people have seen that. <laughs> and she came back and said, come over here, come over here. And show, show my family. Show them what you just showed me. So I was showing Kath's um, family. She said, isn't that lovely? And she said, could you just say thank you to everybody? I, I'm only doing my job. So Kath's not the only lovely um, worker at Manchester United. It's not been easy for some of them workers this season. And these aren't people who have the profile even of Calf, because Calf's pretty well known, but I'm glad that she's been recognised and a bit of a feel-good story at the end of a season where we've needed a bit of that. Yeah, definitely. And and she is a feel-good 
individual around that training ground as well. I remember being at the training ground the morning that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer started work as the interim manager a few years ago. And one of the first things he did when he went into the training ground that morning was hand over a big bar of Norwegian chocolate to Kath that he used to give her when he was at the club as a player before and as a coach before as well. And her smile basically set the tone that day for how people felt arriving to work on the first day that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was taking over from Jose Mourinho and what had been a real difficult period for the club and a very moody, low morale around the training ground changed almost by just seeing Cass' face delighted with this bar of chocolate. It's important to remember that people like this lorry actually do have an effect on the way the club is, the way things run day to day and they can have a, a huge influence on on how people feel arriving to work, how the players feel arriving to work. She's welcomed players to that club since 1968. Wow. I think you make a really astute point there, actually, that goes beyond just it's nice to have people that have been around for a long time. It, you know, she, could, she can set the mood. You know, it can be players come in and that's the first face they see at Carrington and, and in Manchester United. And I've been, you know, I don't know, Kath anywhere near as well as Andy does but just a couple of times that I've been sort of waiting in the reception uh, at Carrington maybe for an interview or to, to, for a press conference or what have you you can have a chat with her it's not as you say it's not a corporate kind of structure in that sense where you've got someone behind a laptop that kind of doesn't want to really engage she'll have a nice chat with you about what's going on you know the weather you know just a, a kind of friendly face and I do think that, that is <laughs> vitally important and you know she's got Sir Alex Ferguson's trust hasn't she you know he gave her the award on stage. Um, I think she does stuff um, in his office after games as well, you know, so he, he, clearly she's part of that inner circle and I think it takes a lot to win his trust. So she's obviously done well over 53 years, as Andy says. She's just a delight. There are so many people at Manchester United who want this club to be the best and they work tirelessly to do that. And I think even though this hasn't been the best of seasons and, and I know there's a lot of fans and listeners to this podcast who think, oh, they don't care. I think it's really important to remember that they, the they of Manchester United is really complicated. Kath uh, will never waver in how much she cares about Manchester United. She's looked after so many people at that club, not just playing personnel, but, but staff that you may have never heard of. And yeah, long may it continue. God bless her. Amen to that. Congratulations, Kath. Okay, well, that's just about it for Talk of the Devils this season. Um, I think what we should do here then is just share some of our own personal best moments. Um, we're going to play you a little montage of our best bits in a minute. But Andy, what's been your highlight of doing this podcast this season? Just a laugh. It's cheered me up sometimes when United have been pretty terrible that just end up arguing with like one of the lads about what what we've been drinking. I mean, I can remember seeing Laurie drinking these mental drinks at matches and just <laughs> thinking, what on earth's going on there? And then we end up talking about it on the podcast. And I, I also, I, we've, we have a huge feedback to it in real life. I remember Carl putting a picture out when we were at Wembley last year saying the podcast coming back soon. And the response was massive. And when I stand outside the ground at, at games, so many people come up and say that they listen to it. And lots of people in the club listen to it as well, and the players listen to it, and I think it's for the fans, it's not for the players, but I've just enjoyed doing it, and it's not always been easy this season, but I had a few good laughs with it as well, and hopefully the people listening will say the same. 
Yeah, it's been great to hear people's reaction to it. It feels like we've held people's hand through what's been a, a difficult season, really. Uh, we've sort of held each other's hands in that sense as well. We've all done it together. Carl, what stands out to you? Beverage talk is probably really good. <laughs> like I've, Benny and Hot, the, the saga of Benny oh, and Hot. That's on it. Yeah. Was amazing. But I, I, I just, just want to follow on what Andy said. It, it, the physical impact is great. And I had a moment when I was in Nigeria and I had a, a Manchester United fan go, yo, you do the Manchester United podcast? Like, yeah, yeah. And they said, and I remember they just went, what's Old Trafford like? And I, I always remember having that thought of this person might come to England once in their life. And if they do, they'll probably go to London because that's where their family might be. And Manchester United is this beautiful thing, but it's maybe just a bit beyond what a lot of Manchester United fans can go to. You know, there are millions of Manchester United fans around the world. And so, yes, some are season ticket holders and get to go every week. There are also millions of Manchester United fans that may never get to Old Trafford in their lifetime. And I like the fact that we spend loads of time talking about Old Trafford, talking about Benny and Hart, talking about football players next and Sean Ryder and the Hacienda as well. <laughs> and, and just taking that little bit of Manchester culture uh, around the world. I know I'm a dirty southerner, but uh, I've learned loads about Manchester for being in this podcast. So thank you so much. Yeah, it's got to be the, the random chat, on it? I mean, football's what people come for, I guess, but hopefully they stay for the kind of human interactions that we chat about. And I didn't realise that Fanta and Coke was an unusual mix. I thought everyone did that. Uh, it turns out that is the thing that gets most people interested in my post. It's not the exhaustive uh, features that I tried to write or the interviews. It's the fact of me mixing some drinks together um, it's called spetzel they do it in germany and mezzo and mezzo apparently I, I still do it now i did it the other day on instagram yeah, and, and, yeah. and streamed it and, and that gets more interactions than anything else i post um <laughs> but, but the, the crayfish episode was fun as well because it was just such a mad day of you know rio ferdinand tweeting in the morning you know shades covering his bags under his eyes to ronaldo signing for united uh to going to a swedish house party where there was crayfish uh, it was just sort of an eclectic mix of things uh, all brought together yeah through the beauty of talk of the devils yeah absolutely I mean I think I speak for all of us when I say we've absolutely loved doing the podcast this season it's been absolutely brilliant to share all those moments with you thank you Andy thank you Laurie and thank you Carl on behalf of all the listeners for sharing your wisdom your insight your random stories week after week thanks to our producers as well ad and ollie who do a lot of hard work behind the scenes cheers guys to make this podcast as enjoyable thank you thank as you. it is and it needs for it even to reach your ears when we're all recording it in our back bedrooms and most importantly thank you all of you for listening as well we've been absolutely blown away like we've been saying uh by your reaction week to week. Um, it's all the disappointment and the problems that there's been at Manchester United this season. It's nice to know that we've been a bit of a haven for you. Uh, we're going to leave you now then with some of our highlights from this season on Talk of the Devils. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being with us. And we're going to take a two-week break, but we'll be back very soon. Andy, what does your dog think about this game then? It's going to be uh, rough, 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 isn't it? Ralph, Ralph, Ralph. This dog, which I've only owned since January, has never interrupted a single podcast. Within one hour of Ralph Ranić signing, she's going absolutely mad and talking in German dog language that she approves. 
but we need to return to the most pressing issue that Manchester United fans are facing at the minute. What is Laurie Whitwell drinking? I mix Fanta with the Coke because I like to have a little, a little, a little what, (laughs) a little what, a little mix-up. It's it's an added flavour, a bit of zest to the to the Coke, you know. And and people are looking orange Fanta and Coke. Yeah, it's great mixed. Honestly, don't knock it till you tried it. Nine pound, unpronounceable Tyneside bevies. I'm glad you brought this up. I will not stand by and, and let this happen. Andy, uncultured. Listen, anyone that's ever had De Serrano Amaretto on ice, it's beautiful. Uh, I don't really know how we follow on from that, really. They sell it at Burnley for £2. He's put in the face right now that I really wish yeah. this was <laughs> also, Why did they serve it at Burnley? For 100 yeah. years, the unofficial match day drink at Burnley FC has been Benny and Hot. The French what? liqueur Burnley Miners Club is the biggest consumer of the spirit outside France. The first lady in Kumasi. I had no seat, so I had to take a chair from the press conference room, stand on top of it, and that's how I watched the entirety of the first leg. Uh, and any time when my knees got a bit like too painful watching this, I went, all right, sound, I'll, um, I'll have a quick sit down, got off my chair. And, and a lad walked up to me and went, do you mind if I stand on your chair if you're not watching this anymore? I went, no, 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 that's, that's my chair. Gets to half time, I went, if I, if, I take, if I leave this chair, someone will take it, and that'll be that. I'm getting me Rangnick man trying to ring me now. <laughs> Can you tell the studio the correct pronunciation of Ralph? Ralph Rangnick. Oh, come on, mate. How on earth are we going to repeat that? Rangnick. Ralph Rangnick. Erik ten Hag. Erik ten Hag. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ten Hag. Ten Hag. Ah, that's good. Go on, my Ten Hag. That was all. Let's hope it's more second half than first half. More tiramisu than blancmange. See you on the next one. Bye-bye. Rhythm is a dancer. Anthony Alanga. You won't stop him if you dare. Came from Scandinavia to be United saviour. Scoring goals from everywhere. And I love the idea of a hole away and going, Whoa! Athletic.